Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. Did you know some sunscreens contain active ingredients that can irritate skin, disrupt hormones, and damage the environment? And these ingredients are commonly used by big brand names you see in most stores. Think mineral sunscreen is better for you and the planet. It's free of harmful chemicals, is reef safe, and is water resistant for up to 80 minutes. And their new clear zinc formulas rub in clear so there's no white cast. Named by the EWG's 2022 Sunscreen Guide as the best recreational kids and baby sunscreen. Think sunscreens are top rated for ingredient safety. Stay sun safe all season long. Shop gothink.com and take 20% off your entire order when you use code KC20. Again, that's KC20 at checkout. Jared St. Clair is an enthusiastic natural supplement expert and formulator. Jared began his career at the very young age of seven as he shadowed his parents in their health store. Jared has owned the family business Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful, Utah for nearly 30 years now. Through one-on-one interaction with his clients at Vitality, along with countless hours of research, he has developed effective protocols for many of the most common health concerns, including digestive health, depression, anxiety, immune dysfunction, hormone balance, and even woman's hair loss. His formulations for Ridgecrest Herbals, 10-Day Results, Brand New Day, and other brands have been proven highly effective and have been the means to better health for many grateful clients. Jared's desire to educate people outside of his own store led him to host his own talk radio show beginning in 2008 on the Utah Jazz Radio Network in Salt Lake City, Utah. Jared currently hosts Vitality Radio and the Vitality Radio Podcast, with episodes released twice a week. His show takes a close look at flaws found in the modern healthcare industry, government overreach in our health decisions, and discusses natural alternatives to pharmaceuticals and more. Welcome everyone to the show today. I am really excited to have Jared St. Clair here with us today. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you. Will you tell my listeners just a little bit about yourself, your background, maybe how you got into the health industry and all of that? Absolutely. I have a very long uh, history in the health world. My parents started our health food store when I was five years old. That's uh, 45 years ago this August. And uh, that store is called Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful, Utah. I started working there when I was seven, uh, you know, dumping the trash and uh, putting prices on products and things like that. That was back when we used to hand write the prices on the stickers and stick them on the bottles. Oh, wow. And uh, before fish oil was in capsules, uh, before we had things like glucosamine sulfate and all these things. So way, way, way back in the day. And uh, I started managing the store when I was 15, when my mom decided she didn't want to work outside of the home anymore. And uh, I've been managing it or owning it ever since I bought it from them when I was 22. So it's been my life's work all but the first six or seven years. Wow, that's incredible. Okay, so you own this health store, but you also are the host on a podcast and also talk show radio, correct? 
That's correct. Yeah, I've done Vitality Radio locally in Utah. I'm on the Utah Jazz Radio Network every Saturday morning and have been for 14 years. And uh, that started as uh, kind of an interesting thing. I didn't intentionally get a radio show. I was a guest on another person's show uh, on a pretty regular basis for about six months, and they decided they didn't want the spot anymore. And I love doing it. So I took over. So I've been doing that for the last 14 years. It's been a podcast for almost three years now. I think I have about 240 episodes or something like that. And uh, I talk about all things natural health and wellness, ways to avoid drugs and surgeries, more natural um, options that uh, I think people need to know about that maybe they're not aware of. Uh, Certainly you and I post a lot of similar things on social media. I love that you have a radio show about this and teach people for free. That is so just really kind of you to do that. Okay, so besides the radio show, the podcast, the health store, you also have developed many protocols for common health concerns, correct? Yeah, about, uh, let's see, 15, 16 years ago now, I started actually formulating products. I uh, formulated a couple of formulas for my own store just to sell in my store, which I still formulate products there as well. But I also started working for a company in Salt Lake called Ridgecrest Herbals that uh, needed a, a product formulator. And I've developed formulas for anxiety, for hair loss for women, which is funny since I'm a bald guy, but uh, women lose it for different reasons than men do. Uh, that was actually my first formula, and it was a pretty big hit uh, called Hair Revive. And I've done things for uh, thyroid health and adrenal health. And uh, I one of my favorite things to work in is uh, probiotics and digestive enzymes. So I've done quite a few now. I think I have about 30 formulas out on the market. Oh, that's incredible. Okay, I'd love to pick your brain about some of these um, protocols that you've put together. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah, you bet. Okay, so I'm actually fascinated about this hair loss one, especially after COVID. A lot of people are complaining about hair loss as one of the side effects. So what is this protocol or herbal remedy that you put together for hair loss? Well, COVID's a perfect example of one of the many types of things that can happen to a woman that can uh, create a hair loss uh, situation. There's a condition that most people have never heard of. Um, I discovered it when I was doing a deep dive on women's hair loss about 15 years ago, trying to figure out what was actually happening there. And it's a condition called telogen effluvium. If you look it up, it's almost impossible to find information on it. You'll find a little blurb here on WebMD or there on Mayo Clinic, but they don't really give you much detail, but essentially telogen effluvium is a major stressor that creates a hair loss event, uh, short-term alopecia, basically. And what my experience has been in all the years that I've done this and, and worked with women who are losing hair is basically, I think most women are to some degree, close to their max when it comes to the level of stress that they're dealing with, uh, the level of uh, nutritional deficiency that maybe they have because their diet isn't what it ought to be, pharmaceuticals that they might be on that are causing stresses or side effects inside the body, uh, hormonal imbalances that are creating stresses inside the body, whether that be PMS uh, type things or menopausal things or other hormonal imbalances. And when something happens, an event like an illness, like COVID or a loss of a job or divorce, or somebody dies, or you pick the major stress uh, that we all go through in this life, that often then triggers the event uh, where the body is finally past its ability to manage a healthy head of hair and also keep the vital organs 
doing what they're supposed to do. And of course, if you ask the body, would you rather have a full head of hair or a healthy functioning heart, liver, kidneys, the body's going to pick the organs over the hair. And therefore, any of the nutrients that used to be shuttled up to the hair follicle are now being focused uh, into other areas that are more vital to our health and wellness, and the hair starts to fall out. So the product that I developed uh, was all based on trying to cover all of the major reasons why a woman might lose hair, including the stress response. So there's herbs in there uh, like ashwagandha to help with the uh, adrenal glands, to help with the actual stress response itself. There are all the key vitamins uh, and minerals, uh, things like silica and zinc and biotin and all of the B vitamins that are critical for hair health. Uh, in high doses, high enough that if the body needs them for other things, it can still use some of the ingredients from the supplement for general health and wellness, but there is enough left over then to finally nourish the scalp and do what needs to be done there. And while telogen effluvium is usually temporary, it can be temporary like for a year or two years. It's not necessarily really short lived. And what we found is that if you flood the body with nutrition, that you can turn it around typically within the first four to eight weeks and uh, hair starts to not just stop falling out, but also uh, you'll start to see new hair growth, the hair growing thicker, fuller, stronger, all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's fascinating. That makes complete sense. Do you think it's the same for men as well? Not typically. There is such a thing as telogen effluvium in men, uh, but most men, for whatever reason, uh, don't experience short-term hair loss. They, in almost every case, have hair loss like what I've got, which is uh, hereditary. Uh, the male pattern baldness where you'll see the, you know, the, the peaks coming up on the front of the head and the, the big hole in the back of the head. Uh, and that kind of thing. And that is a whole different animal. Nutrition doesn't fix that problem. Now, men do oftentimes have weaker, less healthy hair because of a lack of nutrition and can experience short-term hair loss, more hair in the brush, that kind of thing due to that. But it doesn't tend to happen to men like it does to women. And I don't know that anybody knows exactly why that is either. Okay. That's good to know. So you touched briefly upon adrenals and mm -hmm. adrenals being apart with our stress and things like that. So do you have a protocol for people to help their adrenals? Because like I said, adrenals are really affected by stress. And I know probably most women's adrenals are struggling, I would say. Yeah. One of the things that I love about what I do, and, and I know you have to get some satisfaction doing this because you, again, talk about similar things is sharing with people things that are absolute truths that we actually have scientific clinical evidence of that they just haven't heard of before, that they're not getting from other sources. There's so much really golden information when it comes to our health and wellness that we all ought to know, but we aren't necessarily being taught in school. Uh, heck, even in medical school, they're not teaching most of this stuff. They don't talk much about nutrition, even to doctors. And so uh, when it comes to adrenals, that's an interesting topic because most people at least are aware they have adrenal glands. I've met lots of people that didn't know that they have two. They don't know where they're at or how big they are or even what they do. And there are these little tiny glands that kind of hang out on top of the kidneys. And they are really, really interesting because if you think of stress and energy, which uh, if you're like me, you hear all the time, you know, how, how do I manage stress and how do I get more energy? It's like the two biggest questions that we have along with maybe how do I get better sleep? Right. Uh, it seems like. And 
Interestingly enough, sleep, stress, energy, they're all tied to the adrenal glands. If the adrenal glands aren't functioning well, or if they've been overstimulated, overstressed, then we will pay a price in all three of those areas. And of course, those three areas go well together too, because if you're overly stressed, it's harder to sleep. If you don't get enough sleep, you don't have enough energy and, you know, kind of a vicious cycle kind of a situation. So with the adrenals, the first thing I always ask people to do is, check their schedule in terms of what they're allowing themselves for sleep, because sleep plays a major role in your adrenal health. And it's not that all of us have insomnia, but I would say that it is a pretty chronic thing in this country, for sure, for people to simply just choose to sleep less than they probably ought to. Uh, Optimally, I don't know if you've ever read the book, by uh, Matthew Walker called Why We Sleep. Have you heard of that one? I have heard of it, but I haven't read it. That is a must read. It is a great, great book. I'd recommend it to anybody listening. Uh, What he goes through is all of the, the clinical evidence of the biological benefits of enough sleep, basically. And he says that adults, it really is a minimum of seven and optimal eight hours for almost everybody. And then if you've got kids at home, particularly teenagers, they need to be sleeping nine, 10 hours a day. And a lot of parents think their kid's lazy if they're sleeping until noon on Saturday after getting up at six o'clock to go to school every every day during the week. But in reality, they're kind of getting what they're supposed to be getting, that extra sleep. It's a really, really important thing during those uh, adolescent years. So allowing yourself enough sleep is the first thing. And then figuring out, how to get good sleep if you're not able to do that. And one of the things I talk about a lot that has everything to do with the adrenal glands is what's called the cortisol curve. And the cortisol curve is really, really interesting. Um, It's basically in, in really simple terms, your cortisol starts to spike up in the kind of in the middle of the night for most people around two or three in the morning, slowly rising. Well, relatively rapidly rising actually up until about seven in the morning. And that's when it should be at its peak. And cortisol, most people know is a stress hormone, but it's also essentially an alarm clock hormone. It's really designed to kind of get us awake and going in the morning. And when that's at its peak at the right time, we wake up feeling relatively good and refreshed if we got a decent night's sleep the night before and ready to go. And then cortisol just kind of slowly drops throughout the day. And we'll have a little intermittent spikes as stressors hit us. But but overall, the curve is going down until, again, around two in the morning, it starts to come up again. People that have chronic stress or rely heavily on caffeine to stay awake, which, you know, 90 percent of Americans are drinking caffeine every single day. Uh, and so that's a, a significant issue in this country for sure. They can shift that cortisol curve where now all of a sudden their cortisol is spiking at say 10 or 11 or 12 at night when they ought to be sound asleep. And they're having a hard time falling back asleep because their body from a neurotransmitter standpoint thinks it needs to be awake at this time when it really doesn't. So what I found is that if you can do that, my favorite herb for adrenal health is ashwagandha. It's considered one of the kind of the holy trinity, you could say, of herbs in India. Uh, It's incredibly commonly used over there. And ashwagandha has been clinically shown to reduce blood levels of cortisol by about 25, 26% within about a half an hour to an hour if you get a good high potency ashwagandha. So if you can take ashwagandha in the evening when the cortisol should be driven down, then over time, in many cases, you can actually start to reset that clock and get better sleep, which in turn, of course, gives you better energy and, and so on. And then 
really doing your best to lay off of daily caffeine consumption. I'm not the health guy that tells everybody that caffeine is a sin. I don't necessarily even think it is. If you've got a long drive, uh, you do have a reason you've got to stay up late to you know, study for an exam or whatever it is. Caffeine can be your friend, but daily use, your body just builds up a tolerance to it. The adrenal glands tend to get weaker and weaker. I suggest at least giving yourself a couple of days off a week from caffeine if you want to support adrenal health. Oh, I love everything that you've just said. So in fact, when I was dealing with depression 15 years ago, Mm -hmm. um, we did a cortisol test and found out that my cortisol was all over the place. And so the one thing that they, or the first thing they put me on was ashwagandha, daily ashwagandha to help with the cortisol levels. So um, for those listening, if you are constantly tired at like two, three, four in the afternoon, that's usually a sign that the cortisol is off, correct? Yep. Yeah, that that mid-afternoon lull that a lot of people get. I will say this too. This is something a lot of people don't think about, but I think it's very important. If you find that you're getting that nappy feeling, like you've got to take a nap or rest your head for 20 minutes or whatever after lunch, uh, look into also considering digestive enzymes with, uh, with your meals. Uh, most of us, once we hit 35, 40 years of age or older, are deficient in digestive enzyme production. And where our gut and our brain take up most of the energy that our body uses every day, if our gut is having to work overtime to digest food, then we have less energy for the rest of our uh, bodily functions, including uh, brain. So if you feel brain foggy, tired, lethargic after meals, particularly after lunch, uh, then digestive enzymes might be your best friend. If it's lingering for an extended period of time and into the evening, and you're feeling like, man, I could go to bed anytime, ashwagandha in many cases is, is a, an awesome option there. Oh, I love that little tip about the digestive enzymes. Thank you. Okay. So I'm curious because I talk a lot about mental health because of the depression I dealt with, but I know mm-hmm. your bio said that you have made some protocols for depression. And I know depression has a ton of different root causes, but is there something that you particularly love for depression? Well, I will say this. I believe that depression is, you know, we have a lot of these questions when it comes to health, kind of the, uh, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg, you know, was the depression the result of a chemical deficiency or imbalance, or is the chemical imbalance a result of the depression? And I believe it's the, it's that second one. I think that we create most of our own chemical imbalances, particularly with neurotransmitters. So when we're talking about depression, anxiety, things like that, we are in a lot more control than I think we've been led to believe that we are. So when we talk about, you know, like serotonin, for instance, a per- perfect example, most people that are depressed, uh, that end up heading into the doctor, they're going to get a prescription for what's called an SSRI, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. And these drugs, which include things like Zoloft and Prozac, uh, Wellbutrin, those types of things are designed primarily to keep serotonin cycling in the brain for a longer period of time. And serotonin is a feel-good hormone, tends to make you feel more balanced, more in control, everything's okay type of a thing. But the serotonin hypothesis which all of these drugs are based on has been all but debunked. Uh, There's really not much evidence that serotonin deficiency itself actually leads to depression. There is some evidence that people who are depressed have serotonin deficiency. So again, a little bit uh, backwards, maybe from what we thought, plus serotonin 
is 90% manufactured in the gut, not in the brain. So if you aren't making enough serotonin and that really is creating issues for you, focusing on what's happening in the brain is actually too far downstream. You need to be focusing on what's actually happening in the gut. And I, I hope to get into a little bit more of the gut health stuff while you've got me on here, because I believe that anybody dealing with mental health issues, whether it's a bipolar thing or a depressed thing or an anxiety thing, they always need to look at the gut before they look at anything else, because that's really ground zero for all of this. Well, let's actually just talk about the gut right now, if you're okay with that. Absolutely. Glad so to do it. why do so many people have gut issues, do you think? All right. So this is maybe my favorite topic to talk about because it's such a prevalent issue and pretty much covers almost everybody that, that could be listening right now. And that is the overuse of antibiotics. Now, antibiotics are interesting because we think of antibiotics as a general rule, as a prescription that our doctor gives us when we have an infection. And of course, that's largely where we get antibiotics from. But about 70% of antibiotics that are produced in America are fed to animals that are then fed to us. And then we have this amazing, powerful human antibiotic that's being sprayed on most of our uh, food supply called glyphosate, that is the main ingredient in Roundup. And so if you're not buying organic produce, if you're not growing your own, if you're not getting your, uh, your meat or your dairy from uh, good, clean local sources that are doing it right without these antibiotics, then you're consistently getting antibiotics in your body, even if you've never been prescribed one. But one of the things that I tell people that shocks them uh, more often than not, I'm going to be 50 years old here in a couple of months, and I've been on two antibiotics in my life, and both of them were forced on me because I had little surgical procedures, and they wouldn't let me do it without them. I've never actually taken an antibiotic pill. And the reason for that isn't because I haven't been sick. I've had plenty of infections. Uh, we all do. But I just thankfully was taught at a very young age how to handle those things without antibiotics. And so I, that's what I've been able to do and haven't needed to subject my kids to antibiotics and things like that. That's incredible. Okay, let's talk about, because there are different antibiotics, meaning the stuff that comes from our food, but then the stuff that mm -hmm. you're prescribed from a doctor. So I want to talk about both. But the stuff that we're getting in our food, like from the glyphosate, I find it interesting, someone like you, who's 50 years old, who's been in the health industry since you were little, when did you first learn about glyphosate and realize the effects that it had on people's health? Because this wasn't what? around when you were a little kid, correct? Right, right. Well, I remember, and, and you probably do as well, when the first Roundup ads started airing on TV and it was this miracle weed killer, you know, and everybody, not, not only did everybody think that was great because it worked so well, but everybody was out at their local hardware stores buying Roundup and spraying their weeds with it, really thinking, Oh, you know, this is great. It's safe. It's not a problem. I'm going to use this stuff. It really happened, I think, when I don't know what the timing was, but there was uh, some evidence that had been hidden uh, by Monsanto, the, the company that originated this, this chemical that uh, came to light. Uh, maybe I'm going to guess 20 years ago. I could be way off on that, but I'm going to say somewhere in that range. When people like me that uh, were you know, paying attention to these things, started uh, hearing, uh, reading some of these studies and, and hearing reports of people potentially getting sick from this stuff that started to at least uh, have me thinking twice about whether or not I should use it. Now, as a general rule, I'm going to avoid chemicals as often as I possibly can, because again, I was raised by hippies and that's just how it is. 
But uh, Roundup was in my garage 20 something years ago. I didn't really, th- I had been convinced that it was relatively safe and really only hurt weeds uh, and just hadn't thought that much of it until I started reading this stuff. Then I started digging into it a little bit. And it's one of those things, if you, you know, kind of peek behind the curtain a little bit at glyphosate, you can't unsee what you've seen. And now you see all the stuff that's really going on and how dangerous this stuff really is. And, and what really, I think, alerted me to it is when the controversy started popping up about GMO crops and Roundup Ready crops that they had genetically modified so they could spray four or five times as much of this on them. And it wouldn't kill the crop, but it'd kill all the other weeds uh, that would uh, create issues in that area. And when you started looking into the genetically modified thing and then the glyphosate thing, and then the lawsuits started coming or people that were claiming that they'd been caused cancer and juries started to award people in the last five or six years, millions of dollars because they had what they believed was enough proof that it actually did cause cancer. And now we have countries that have banned it altogether. So it's just been kind of a snowball rolling downhill as far as the evidence that glyphosate is dangerous ever since. Right. And now it's been banned to be sold in the stores. They're still in the stores because they have until next year to actually get them off from the supply chain. But but the fact that we now are banning it from being sold in the stores, people should maybe wake up to, Hey, there's something going on with this glyphosate. So do you really want to be eating it if we're now banning it from the stores? Right. My and, and when it gets banned in America, it's always at least a decade too late, you know, before they, they that, actually do anything about it. That is for sure. I tell people that all the time with partially hydrogenated oil, it was banned mm-hmm. in 2021, but we knew for 20, 30 years before that, how terrible it was for the body. And then finally, so yeah, that's part of my purpose of why I try to teach people about all the food and ingredients out there, because I want them to know like, hey, it might be okay today, but in 10 years, it might be banned and you just have eaten it for 10 years. So exactly. Yeah. Same thing happened with BPA. We were talking about that for a long time before they banned that. And it's it's just what it is. It takes the government forever to catch up. And, and really, it's a pressure thing. There's have to be enough consumers complaining about it before they'll actually do anything about it. Right. Okay, let's talk about antibiotics, though, prescribed at the doctor's office, because they are given out a lot for different illnesses. So let's talk about some common illnesses, like maybe sinus infections. You take your child to the doctor for sinus infections, they usually hand you a prescription of an antibiotic. So do you have a different protocol or idea for people? I do. In fact, if you want to hear a crazy statistic, just think think of this one. This is one that is absolutely been proven. It's been published in uh, multiple different uh, studies done on that are published on PubMed. So this isn't anybody's opinion. This is actual fact. 85% of sinus infections in America are viral, not bacterial. So antibiotics, as most people know, can't treat a viral infection. They can't treat a fungal infection. They can only treat bacterial infections. And then in that, in some cases, they're not even that effective against certain bacteria, as we know. But if you go to a doctor right now in America and you say, I've got a sinus infection and I'd like an antibiotic for it, you're 85% likely to walk out of the doctor's office with a prescription for an antibiotic without that doctor knowing if you actually have a bacterial sinus infection. And so 85% of the infections can't be treated by an antibiotic and 85% of them are treated by an antibiotic, which makes absolutely no sense. But the thing is, if you think about it logically, what the patient might be thinking is, well, 
every time I go to the doctor with a sinus infection and I come home with an antibiotic within seven to 10 days, I don't have a sinus infection anymore. Well, the truth is a viral sinus infection will clear itself in about seven or 10 days uh, without the aid of anything with, without vitamins, minerals, herbs, it just goes away on its own. But most consumers are assuming that it was the antibiotic that actually killed the infection. So that's the first problem is the rampant overuse of antibiotics in this country uh, by medical doctors and the World Health Organization, the CDC, the FDA, the AMA, these are all organizations that I often disagree with, but all of them are saying, all of them are saying we're prescribing way too many antibiotics. We have to slow it down because we're getting these superbugs now, things like MRSA and C. diff that are killing people because they're antibiotic resistant because of too much antibiotic use. So we're overdoing it across the board. So then the question is, okay, so when should I use an antibiotic? Now, I'm not your doctor. I'm not a doctor. I don't claim to be one and I can't prescribe or you know treat anything to mitigate a disease. But common sense would tell you that if you have something that can be solved through something very, very simple and very safe, that it would be better to do that than to do something that's very harsh, like an antibiotic. And why is an antibiotic harsh? Maybe not everybody knows how harsh they are. Amoxicillin has been clinically proven to wipe out about 50%, 50% in 10 days of the gut microbiome, half. That's crazy. Now think about that for a minute. That is nuts, right? Right. Like if I hear that, I'm running as far as I possibly can and as quickly as I can the other direction. Now, these are living, breathing microorganisms or they're going to regrow. Uh, they're going to repopulate. Uh, they're going to recolonize. So it's not like that 50% is gone and it's never coming back. But what we know now over the last 10 years of research or so is that it will never get back to where it was. So if you were at 100% and you had all the bacteria in there that you were supposed to, and you take amoxicillin for 10 days and it knocks it down to 50%, maybe you're going to get back up to 85, 90, 95% on your own, but you'll never get there all the way. It doesn't appear without some sort of probiotic therapy. So the vicious cycle comes in where people have an antibiotic for the first sinus infection. And then three months later, six months later, they have another sinus infection, or maybe even a year later, and they get another antibiotic. And then they get another one and you're never getting back to peak immune response from your probiotic levels in your microbiome. And so each time you're more and more likely to be susceptible to that next infection. And in many cases, again, that infection maybe wasn't even treatable by an antibiotic in the first place. So with sinus infections, my favorite go-to has been colloidal silver. Colloidal silver is really, really simple. It's been around forever and ever. It has been demonized to some degree. Uh, there's a guy out there on TV that has turned his skin kind of a gray tone by drinking a quart of colloidal silver every day and stuff like that. But if it's used reasonably, it's incredibly safe. And a couple of sprays of colloidal silver directly into the sinuses about five to six times a day when you get a sinus infection can be absolutely amazing. And in most cases, people are seeing relief within like 48 to 72 hours. And the reason for that is, is that colloidal silver is not just antibacterial, but it is antiviral and it's antifungal. And the people that have chronic sinus infections I think for the most part are dealing with chronic fungal infections in the sinuses and where the antibiotic can knock it down and uh, calm that down a little bit, it will not eliminate it. And so you're just waiting for the next one to come. And if you think about what the sinus cavity looks like, it's 
it's warm, it's moist, it's dark. I mean, it is the perfect place to breed fungus. So we have to get rid of it on contact and colloidal silver in vitro, like in a Petri dish, it'll wipe out almost anything. Even antibiotic resistant bugs like MRSA can be wiped out by silver. So if you can get it into contact with where the infection is, it's, uh, it's really, really phenomenal stuff. I love silver. In fact, when my kids get a sore throat, they're spraying that silver right in the back of their throat, trying yep. to kill whatever is causing it. So yeah, it's my si favorite thing for strep and sore throat, all that stuff. Yeah, it works great. So for a sinus infection, are you saying just spray it up your nose? Yeah, at our store, and I'm, I'm assuming at most health food stores out there, you can find a, a colloidal silver that has a nasal spray attachment on it. Mm. Um, if you can't find that, get a good colloidal silver, run to your drugstore and get an empty nasal sprayer with a that you can add the silver to. But uh, you're talking about a remedy that's not only effective, but it's cheap. I mean, the one that we sell is like 10 bucks a bottle and it is so effective. It's, it's almost mind blowing. I remember the first time I ever used silver in my daughter, uh, she was three or four, I think she's 12 now and had pink eye. And uh, I uh, dropped a drop of colloidal silver in her eye and watched it just go away. It was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. We ended up doing uh, three drops total and uh, no more pink eye. So silver is, is truly amazing stuff. That is so interesting. Okay, so I want to ask you about silver really quickly. So one time I showed on Instagram, my kids spraying it in the back of their throat and uh -huh. the controversial comments that came were, oh, I was attacked. <laughs> I now call them the silver haters. I'm like, if I talk about silver, I've got the silver haters coming out. So yeah. why do you think it's so controversial? Just from that well, one guy? To a large degree. Yeah. I mean, that guy was on Oprah. He's been on, you know, late night shows. I can't even remember his name. They, some people call him the blue man. The blue man. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, he's, if there's a couple of issues with him. One is he's drinking mass quantities. I, as I recall, and I could be wrong, but as I recall, I think he drinks a quart of colloidal silver a day. A quart of colloidal mm -hmm. silver is so far beyond a dose that anybody would reasonably rec recommend that it's not even funny. An average dose to, for people that have never used it before is somewhere between a teaspoon and a tablespoon, depending right. on the potency of the silver you have. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is he's generating the silver in his own house with a machine and who knows what quality of silver he's getting. The critical nature of colloidal silver is the particle size has to be small enough that it can be electromagnetically suspended. So if you think about silver in a liquid solution and you think about how a magnet works, if you turn it the wrong, the wrong way and they deflect off of each other, that's what happens with these silver particles is they're suspended in that liquid. And if you have a suspended silver that has a small enough particle size, then that silver will do what it needs to do while it's in the body. But in the clinical studies that have been done on it, in fact, a couple of those were done here in Utah at BYU, uh, they show that the silver is completely gone from the body within 24 hours. Right. I do know that study. It's a good study. Yeah. Okay. So back to sinus infections now and antibiotics being given too frequently for those. That's sort of the same thing with ear infections, correct? Indeed. And especially it's an issue for ear infections for me because that's almost always happening in little ones. And the microbiome, if you understand how it works and what the most recent research has been done, and I don't think most people are aware of this, I'm guessing you probably are, but the first three and a half years is when our, our full human adult microbiome is formed on average in the first three and a half years. And there's three major factors involved in that microbiome formation. The first one is 
uh, a vaginal birth as opposed to a cesarean section. It's a big deal. Going through the birth canal matters a lot. So if you're a C-section baby, uh, you are starting out in a little bit of a hole. Uh, the second thing is breastfeeding. And it's been uh, estimated that it's about 12 to 15 months is kind of an ideal uh, time frame for breastfeeding. Those are the two biggies that mom gives us. Uh, after what mom gives us, the other thing is really just avoidance. It's how clean is that baby being fed uh, aside from breast milk? Uh, and is there, uh, you know, are there chemicals and antibiotics in the food that are being fed to the baby? And then is the baby prescribed an antibiotic? Uh, there are, it's very common for, you know, one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old kids to have three, four, five, six ear infections or strep throat or something like that in the first few years of life. And those are the people that I often see in my office. The first thing I always ask almost anybody, especially if they're dealing with something like an autoimmune uh, disorder is tell me your antibiotic history. And nobody understands what that question means. They're like, oh, so what do you mean? how many I've taken in the last year. And I mean, no, all the way back from when the day you were born, do you know what your situation was with antibiotics? And if you know that you had antibiotics during the first few years of life, even if it's only one or two rounds, and if you were a C-section baby or you weren't breastfed, any of those things would indicate that you started out in a hole in terms of your own digestive health and immune health, and that you probably have more susceptibility because of that. So, so that's the first thing is, is really looking at when the antibiotics are being given and, uh, and how often and all that kind of stuff. But to take it back to the answer your question with ear infections, kind of the same thing. The cool thing about ears, nose and throat and eyes when it comes to infections is they can be reached, right? You can actually get into the ear. You can get into the sinus cavity. You can get into the eye. Uh, you can spray it directly back on the throat, that kind of thing. I'm a big fan of silver again for ear infections, a drop or two in the ear with a cotton ball and then lay on the opposite ear so that you can kind of let it run down into the ear canal. Uh, the other thing I absolutely love that is as old school herbalism as it gets is, is uh, garlic oil. Garlic oil is phenomenal for ear infections. And actually garlic, uh, there's a couple of brands out there that make garlic with uh, white willow, uh, which also helps with the pain. So if you've got a little one who's really struggling with the pain of an ear infection, tugging at their ear, that kind of thing, the garlic and willow will in most cases calm the pain while it's also working on the infection. I have never thought about using silver for ear infections. So we it's use awesome. For yeah. Ear as you said that I was like, why have I not done that? I have used garlic drops for years and years mm -hmm. and homeopathic drops that are made for the ear that are incredible. I mean, my kids are complaining that night of something. I put those homeopathic drops in and by morning they are fine. And yeah. so, and homeopathy in kids is so effective too, I think. So yeah, I agree with that one as well. Okay. So what about all these moms that are listening to this podcast that are like, dang, my one-year-old had antibiotics like every three months because we we're in and out mm -hmm. of the doctor's office with ear infections. And now this kid is 12 or 15 or, you know, what hope do we give these parents? Cause I know sometimes they listen and they're like, dang, did I like ruin my child? Am I doomed? So the, the short answer is no, you didn't. Um, it can be, uh, it can be repaired. The, one of the things that is, I think, maybe above everything else, when we look at the, the miracle that is the human body, is its incredible resiliency. There are so many things that we can do to ourselves or can have done to us uh, in the case of, you know, accidents and things like that, where we can get 
broken for lack of a better term, uh, at least temporarily, whether it's a broken bone or, or it's a cut or it's an infection or whatever it is. But there are very, very few things that I believe that we can't repair from. All you have to do is get a cut or a burn and watch what happens to the skin almost immediately after that happens. The body is immediately starting the process of repair as the moment that the, that the affliction occurs. And so our body is meant and designed to come back to homeostasis, to come back to balance. But we have to remove the roadblocks. And oftentimes there are roadblocks that we've put there. And sometimes those are our diet. Sometimes those are, uh, you know, other things that they hinder us, toxins and things like that that we get from our environment. And so the first thing is get stuff out of the body that needs to get out. And then the second thing is put back into the body what needs to be there for the body to function as well as it should. Similar to what we talked about with hair, you, you just have to get the nutrition high enough that the hair can then, you know, regrow. Well, the same is with the microbiome. So we're supposed to have like a hundred trillion different organisms, not different organisms, but a hundred trillion uh, bacteria, organisms, and- bacteria yeah, in our digestive tract, right? And what's interesting is we think that there's somewhere between one and 2000 different species. Now, if you think about that and you think about human beings, uh, how many you know, different types of human beings are there? There's not 2000 different types, right? Um, that's a huge diversity when you think about that. And while all of these bacteria are to some degree redundant, they do similar things in many ways. There also are specialists and cer- certain bacteria specialize in certain things. And if we, if our diversity of bacteria or our total number of bacteria are are depleted, then we end up with a much higher susceptibility to literally just about anything it is, whether it's something like we dealt with COVID for the last couple of years, or the common ear infection or sinus infection, urinary tract infection, whatever. So rebuilding that is the biggest thing. And I've dedicated the last 15 years of my life in terms of research, probably doing more research on probiotics and the microbiome than any other area. And what I've discovered is, uh, and it was interesting, the the story behind it. And if we had four hours, I'd tell you the whole story because it's actually one of my favorite stories to tell, but it takes a while. But how I discovered what are called spore forming probiotics uh, was a complete accident. And maybe it wasn't an accident. Maybe it was meant to be, but uh, I found these things called spore forming probiotics. So the, the, the short version is we have human strain probiotics that are found inside our gut. They're found in our sinus cavity. They're found throughout the body in any of the areas of the body that should have bacteria. They're all over our skin, that kind of thing. Um, those are native to our body, but native to our environment are what are called spore forming probiotics. Most of them start with the word bacillus. If you're looking at a label of a, of a probiotic, not lactobacillus. If it's lactobacillus, that'd be a human strain, but just bacillus. And there's like bacillus coagulans, bacillus uh, subtilis, bacillus indicus, uh, and bacillus clausi are probably the four most well-known. But these bacillus strains are interesting because they're, they're what are known as commensal strains. They have this really powerful positive impact on our human microbiome. And yet they don't actually, um, we don't really do anything for them. They're just constantly doing us favors. Uh, We breathe them in, we eat them on food. uh, We have them in our system 
pretty much at all times, but they're transient. They don't stay there. They don't colonize. So while they're in there, they'll hang out for around 25 to 30 days on average. And what they do when they're there is they have a combination of, of uh, tasks that they're accomplishing. One is they actually release uh, natural antibiotics that are uh, fighters of pathogens that fight off excess of yeast like candida or even parasitic things or protozoas or things like that. So they have a really powerful natural kind of attack mode that they go into. The other thing they do is they create this amazing high level of lactic acid in the gut that makes the environment of the gut much more conducive to the colonization of the good human bacteria. And what's cool is because they don't, they aren't a specific bacteria that hangs around in the body. We don't end up with a, you know, too much of this bacteria, not enough of that one, any kind of an imbalance. They kind of feed and nourish the gut um, across the board so that everything that's in there can regrow and rebuild more effectively. The other thing that's cool is because they're environmental, because they're not found in the human body uh, naturally, they withstand heat and acid beautifully. They can handle over 400 degrees in temperature. Um, acid doesn't bother them. Excessive uh, temperature uh, swings from hot to cold don't bother them. Moisture, all that kind of stuff. They're incredibly resilient. They get all the way down into the colon and they help the body to rebuild and re-strengthen. And anybody that has a significant uh, deficiency of probiotics, which I think you can ask yourself a few questions to figure out if you fall into that category. First off, do you have any digestive health issues? You know, do you deal with gassiness or bloating after meals? Do you have acid reflux? Do you have issues with constipation or diarrhea? Any of those things, or are you very susceptible to immune things when, you know, when your kids get sick, do you get sick or when the other kids get sick, does your kid get sick or whatever it is every time, then that would indicate probably that you do have a deficiency because, you know, 80 to 90% of our immune function comes from the gut. So um, I always recommend a good spore forming probiotic uh, for a minimum of three months, if not six months, you, you won't overdo it. So it's really a matter of just making sure that you're, you're taking plenty and doing it for a long enough time to rebuild things, but you can get back to a really, really good spot with your microbiome. You just have to work at it. I'm so glad you explained spore probiotics because they are becoming more and more trendy and you hear mm -hmm. like they're hundred percent survivable, meaning they make it all the way through the digestive tract. And so you explaining what spore probiotics do um, is really helpful. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody listening and you should check this, uh, this guy out too. There's a guy named Kieran Krishnan. It's K-I-R-A-N Krishnan. He's a friend of mine. Uh, we don't have any business affiliation or anything, but this guy's a microbiologist. He's been on my show multiple times and, and I'd track him down for years because he's a great guest. But Kieran Krishnan, he's done a ton of research on the microbiome and a lot of what I'm reciting out today, I learned from him, but his research on spores and what they do is just, it's awesome. Uh, really groundbreaking stuff. Yeah. He's incredible. I actually know who he is. He, um, do you? Yeah. He helped with the probiotic that I like to shout out and recommend to people because it is a spore probiotic. And so which one is that the silver fern probiotic? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He worked with them. He also worked with a company called just thrive that makes a great one. Um, and he actually educated me on, I, I, I developed one as well based on the education I received from Kieran, uh, that we call precision probiotic, but yeah, absolutely. His work is phenomenal. And any of the probiotics he's been involved in, I think are fantastic, uh, for sure. Oh, that's good to know that you have one. I didn't realize you did. So that's good to know. Okay, really quick though, because you mentioned UTIs. So I did want to ask you this because I get asked quite often from followers, like my doctor wants me to have an antibiotic for this UTI. 
I have great suggestions for sinus infections and ear infections. I don't have great <laughs> suggestions for UTIs. So I want to hear oh. what you would say. You are going to love this. Okay. So this is actually more clinically proven than what I talked about with garlic oil or silver. The funny thing about garlic oil and silver is there aren't a bunch of studies. There might not be a study on colloidal silver and sinus infections, but anecdotally, the evidence is overwhelming how effective it is. And there just hasn't been anybody fun to study yet, but D-mannose, uh, which is a simple sugar, uh, it's D-mannose, M-A-N-N-O-S-E, uh, is phenomenal and has excellent clinical research uh, in human uh, placebo-controlled double-blind studies, like good, good, good research. And they basically used it two different ways. They've used it to clear urinary tract infections, and they've used it also to prevent urinary tract infections in women who are experiencing chronic urinary tract infections. So as a preventative, let me start there uh, because it's actually really simple. They did a study over a six-month period I don't remember how many women were involved, but I think it was in the 100, 150 range, something like that. So it was a decent sized study, nothing huge. And these women had reported a minimum of three urinary tract infections over the last six months. So they were in what is considered the chronic uh, realm of urinary tract infections on average about one every two months. And they put half the women on D-mannose, one teaspoon. Now, remember, this is a sugar. It's a sugar that is totally safe for diabetics. It has a virtually zero glycemic index, so you don't have to worry about that. But it tastes like sugar, so it's really easy to use, too. Uh, a level teaspoon, which is two grams. They gave them a level teaspoon every day, two grams of D-mannose, and monitored half the group on the placebo and half the group on the D-mannose uh, for six months. 85% of the women in the D-mannose group did not get a urinary tract infection over the next six months after having at least three in the previous wow. six months. And um, there was a virtually no improvement in the placebo group. So dramatic difference in terms of prevention. Now, what D-mannose does is it has what's called an anti-adherence factor. So basically the urinary tract is one of the areas of the human body that is supposed to be sterile. There shouldn't be any kind of bacteria in it. The reason it happens mostly to women is about 85% or 90%. I can't remember the number, but it's very high of urinary tract infections uh, do occur in women. And it has to do with, uh, with the actual biological makeup of a man versus a woman. And most of the bacteria that's getting in there is, is the bacteria most people think of as a food poisoning, E. coli. 90% of urinary tract infections are caused by E. coli. And what, if you look at it under a microscope, E. coli looks like a spider web and it behaves like a spider web. You ever walk through a spider web and you try and get it off your skin and it's like, yep. you know, so it could get honey on your forehead, right? Yep. It's very sticky. And so what D-mannose does is it makes the urinary tract very slick and literally the bacteria just can't hang on anymore. There's nothing for it to stick to. So it flushes out. Now, the cool thing about that is you're not killing anything. So it's not an antibiotic, antiviral, antifungal, anti-anything. It's just a sugar that makes things slippery and the bacteria goes out. Because you're not killing anything, you're not creating any disruption in the microbiome whatsoever. Uh, and you don't feel anything while you're taking it. There's no side effects associated with D-mannose at all. If you're dealing with an active urinary tract infection in the clinical trials, what they did, and they did this on um, E. coli-based uh, urinary tract infections, there have not been studies that I'm aware of on other 
infectors outside of E. coli when it comes to D-mannose. So what we do know, though, is that if it's E. coli, which 90% of the time it is, uh, D-mannose is 100% effective against E. coli urinary tract infections, according to the clinical studies. And what they do is, and this is really, really important, um, is you take that two grams, which is a level teaspoon, in about three or four ounces of water, you do it four times a day. But the trick is you have to drink it with just a little bit of water and then you wait 45 minutes to an hour and then drink a full glass of water. You do that four times a day. And the reason for that is you need the D-mannose to hang out in the urinary tract for a little bit to do its anti-adherence thing before you flush it out with the water. So you basically want to drink it, but don't pee it out until after it's been sitting there for 45 minutes or so. You do that for a couple of days, then you reduce it to three servings a day for a couple of days and then to two for a couple of days. And then most people recognize you do at least a month at one serving a day to just make sure it's completely gone. If this is your first urinary tract infection, or it's the first one you've had in years, that's probably all you need to do. I usually, well, I always recommend, not everybody does it, but I always recommend the probiotic. I was just talking about the precision probiotic to rebuild the gut. Cause if the gut's built up like it should, then urinary tract infections generally don't happen. I have to go backwards. If you're getting chronic ear infections, chronic sinus infections, absolutely the the killer is the stuff that we already talked about but the preventer for future would be the probiotic getting the spore probiotics in there to make sure you've got your natural defenses built up but if you'll do that then you have a almost 100% chance that the urinary tract infection goes away in the clinical trials within 48 hours the urinary tract was completely clear uh, with four servings a day that is so fascinating so can people just buy demanos like at a health store Mm-hmm. At a grocery store? Uh, not at a grocery store. It's typically a health food store item. It's not very hard to find. Um, and it's it's pretty simple stuff. There is a wide range, I've noticed, of prices out there. And I don't really think there's that wide a range of, of uh, qualities. Um, the one that we sell is made by a local company called CNHP, uh, Complete Natural uh, let's see, complete natural health products, I believe. But I mean, and to give you an idea, it's not even expensive. It's like 35 bucks for 160 servings, I think. So it's a very inexpensive remedy. It's very, very safe. Worst case scenario, you do it for three or four or five days, you still have a urinary tract infection. You can always resort to the antibiotic or some other option, but uh, in almost every case, this does the job. Oh, I'm so glad you shared about that. It has been really fun just asking you about all these protocols for all these different health issues. I have a list of like 20 more health issues I could ask you about. <laughs> so, and I know my listeners are going to want some other ideas as well. I might just have to have you back for a second episode. I would love to come back on and, and uh, your invitation to come on my show is still wide open as well. Oh, that would be great. I do have a question for you though, as a health store owner, something I'm just curious about. I feel like it's becoming more trendy to learn about health, the body, empowering people, um, empowering oneself with knowledge about health. Do you find that you see it's becoming more trendy or has it always been this way? I really think there's a big shift going on in terms of the public consciousness. To a large degree in America, I believe that we have been, we've kind of been trained to turn our health over to the professionals. And some of us, the professional is maybe a naturopathic doctor or a homeopathic doctor or something like that. But for most people, it's just, you know, their MD, their family doctor, their pediatrician, whatever it is. But, and I don't really care who it is. I think that's a horrible idea. I don't care if you're going with a naturopath, which is the kind of doctor I prefer to see, uh, or you're going to the health food store and talking to a guy like me, or you're going to your MD, turning our health over to somebody else, I think is just a 
It's a terrible idea. It is your health. It is your responsibility. That individual has no intuitive nature when it comes to your body. Uh, you uh, alone have that and have the ability to seek out and learn the best methods to take care of yourself and your family. And I believe that when it comes to health conditions, and we witnessed this during COVID in a big way, oftentimes we operate out of fear. We get sick or worse yet, our kid gets sick and we immediately think, I'm not equipped for this. Got to rush him off to this place or that place and get it taken care of. And in some cases, you aren't equipped for that. If your kid gets run over by a car, please get him to the emergency room. But if your kid has an eye infection or an ear infection, believe it or not, you might be equipped. You may very well be equipped. It isn't that difficult to take care of most of these things. And yet we oftentimes feel like we just aren't the expert in that area. So if you do feel like you're not the expert, become the expert, become the expert of your own health. It is a huge huge, important thing. And nobody can do it better for you than you can yourself once you become educated. And that's, I know that's what you're all about, Carolyn. I I get that. And I believe that that's uh, what Vitality Radio, my podcast is all about, is just helping people get extra information that isn't uh, maybe often being talked about in, you know, mainstream sources to help people get educated and take care of their health. And and I, I do believe that millions of us I think maybe especially because of COVID are starting to say, whoa, I got to understand my body better and understand health better and take it, do a better job taking care of myself. I agree. And I think people are just tired of knowing so many people with depression, cancer, autoimmune issues, mm-hmm. and people are like, what is going on? Enough is enough. And so I think with like free platforms, like all these podcasts and social media and things, people are like, oh, wait, there's another side to this. Wait, I can learn this stuff. So I'm glad to see the trend of people waking up and understanding their body more and their health more and taking action. So I agree. And and I'll say that your, you know, your uh, Instagram posts, you've got, you know, so many followers and everything. I don't know that 10 years ago, and of course there was no Instagram back then. I don't know. You would have had the kind of traction that you've had now. I I really do think there's an awakening of people really wanting to take better care of themselves. And that's why you and I are finding more and more listeners and followers is because people are really looking for this information now, actively looking for it. Right. I would agree. Well, thank you so much for being here on the show. I have really enjoyed talking with you. I know my listeners have learned so much. Will you just tell my listeners where they can find you and your radio show? Absolutely. So there's a few ways to access uh, my information. The easiest is the podcast for sure. It's Vitality Radio with Jared St. Clair. It's on every podcast app you can imagine. Uh, And you can also find us at vitalityradio.com. My podcasts are all uh, linked with, uh, you know, extra resources that you can go to after you listen. And of course, the uh, details about what we're talking about are in the titles. So you can kind of, you know, if you want to find out more about urinary tract infections, for instance, I've got podcasts on that. If you want to learn more about magnesium, I've got podcasts on that and so on. So uh, that's the best place to to get information. If you're in Utah, uh, we'd love to have you uh, come by our shop, Vitality Nutrition and Bountiful. Uh, We're at 107 South, 500 West, and you can call us there at 801-292-6662. And you can also visit our website, vitalitynutrition.com. And uh, and I'm on uh, all the social media as well, uh, Twitter and Facebook and and Instagram, that kind of thing. But uh, probably vitalitynutrition.com and vitalityradio.com are the best places to start. And what is your name on Instagram? What are they going to search for? (laughs) You know, that's a great question. Um, Let's see here. 
It's uh, at Vitality Nutrition or at Vitality Radio. Okay, perfect. Uh, or sorry, on Instagram though, it's at we couldn't get Vitality Nutrition at Vitality Nutrition Bountiful on Instagram. Okay, I have all those written down because I can't keep track of all. I of know it's the same for me, and it's hard <laughs> to get certain names, and I get it. Um, I always end my podcast with asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient to life. What would you say it is? <laughs> okay, so that is the hardest question maybe that anybody has ever asked me. You did prepare me, and I appreciate <laughs> that uh, because it's like asking me what's my favorite kid. I know, uh, you know, because there's so many of these things I, I get so excited about and have so, so much passion for. I will say this um, from a emotional standpoint. Um, the greatest ingredient for life is curiosity. Hmm. I believe that we have to get curious about our health. We have to get curious about what's true. My favorite question to ask myself over the last six or seven years is what if I'm wrong? I ask myself that question on a regular basis because most of us have been programmed with information. We've all been programmed with information, whether it be from our family, our friends, teachers, religion, politics, name the source, TV, whatever. And some of that information serves us and some of it does not. And yet often we find, we believe that because we have always believed it, that it's true. And I think having the humility to ask yourself, what if I'm wrong, opens up the possibilities to find deeper and bigger, uh, better truths. So that's my, my favorite emotional one. And if you give me a minute, I'll tell you my favorite supplemental one, and that's magnesium. Magnesium plays a role in over 300 different biological functions. It is incredibly critical to the stress response that we talked about at the very beginning of the show. And at least 80% of Americans are walking around deficient in magnesium. So it, whenever somebody says, you know, well, what's the one thing you'd take? Cause I'm a, you know, I'm a supplement guy. It's what I do for a living. What supplement would you take to a desert Island? It's magnesium. Magnesium glycinate is the one that I would take to a desert Island. Oh, I love both things that you said. The curiosity for sure. I believe that's how I got on this path because I was like, I know my body can heal. I just don't know how. And I got curious about how does the body heal? What do I need to do? And so for sure that and magnesium, 100%. That is a supplement that would help so many people with everything from hormones to sleep to mm -hmm. um, their immune function. I mean, that's a whole slew of things that it helps with. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate you taking the time here. It's been so fun talking to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really, really appreciate your time. And, and, and honestly, I appreciate what you're doing. It takes a lot of us to get the word out there. And uh, I've been, since I met you, uh, you know, just a few months ago, a couple months ago, I've been following your Instagram posts and you post so much valuable, useful, real world, world information. I absolutely love it. So thank you for doing what you do. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.